As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This podcast is brought to you by Direct TV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Big Football Show, a podcast by The Athletic about Big Ten football. Today is Wednesday, November 3rd. And this is Scott Dockerman, and I mostly write about Iowa. Today, I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, uh, Mitch Sherman, who covers Nebraska for The Athletic. Good morning, Mitch. How are you this morning? I am good, Scott, on this uh, frosty, cold morning over here in Nebraska. No pun intended with the uh, uh, the coach in Lincoln, but uh, we're feeling uh, it's feeling like fall um, finally in uh, in Big Ten country. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way. I looked out and I still have to mow my yard, and I'm like, yeah, it's frost outside, <laughs> so I got to wait a few more days, or at least on a week where I'm not traveling. So, uh, which is happening this this week. But uh, last night we saw our first round of the college football playoff rankings. Six teams, uh, six Big Ten teams, were in the top twenty five. Michigan State topped out at three, followed by Ohio State at five, Michigan at seven, and then the Big Ten West trio of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa, 20 through 22. Uh, First of all, what were your impressions? Uh, I don't think there was an argument about number one, but I think from there on, as always, there was a lot of outrage. Yeah. I mean, hey, it's November 2nd, and these things are going to work themselves out as they generally do. The rankings came out on November 2nd, so... Um, I was probably not outraged, but surprised. Absolutely. I mean, first I was surprised to see Alabama at two because do the losses matter for Alabama? I mean, I know they look at wins and Alabama has good wins over Mississippi and Mississippi state, but the loss, uh, on the road against A&M, like, it seems like there's a double standard there with Alabama. And I understand it because when you watch Alabama play, there's a tendency to, to, marvel at how great um its players are but uh you know that's not that's not necessarily the slack that some of these other teams are getting cut so you know they say the committee says and you know listening to gary barda last night or reading his transcript um hey there's no emphasis there's no there's no consideration placed on previous years or you know past playoff performances you know i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna um call uh i'm gonna call him on that one with uh with alabama in that number two spot but but the big 10 
Um, I was also surprised to see Michigan State at three. Um, and, and this just comes from more the, the fact that I have seen um, in games against Nebraska, Michigan State, Michigan, and Oklahoma. Right. And, of course, Michigan State is going to get the nod over Michigan because they played mm-hmm. Saturday and Michigan State won. Um, so, yeah, you're going to put the, the Spartans up there. And, and I, I recognize that this is a strong year for the Big Ten. And you can't leave a Big Ten team out of the top four, presumably. You've got two in the top five. Michigan State deserves to be ranked higher than uh, Ohio State because of their respective records. Mm -hmm. So from that sense, it makes sense. But my own view in seeing those three teams that are in the top seven, and I'm going to see a fourth one. I'm sorry, in the top eight. I'm going to see a fourth one this week with the Buckeyes among the top eight. Um, I don't think Sparty is that much better than the others. I just, I just don't, I didn't see it in, in, um, in the game that, that, uh, that I watched them. Well, sure. I mean, in the second half of that game, Nebraska really dominated it. If it didn't have a, you know, really a, an ill-timed punt in the wrong direction. Um, a disastrous special teams play. So, exactly. you know, par for the course with uh, the Nebraska <laughs> over the past several years. Exactly. Uh, but, but I think it, it's kind of this two, two lane, view I guess the college football playoff selection committee takes and that is uh, you're, you're combining criteria with the eye test and Alabama always masters the eye test because you look at them and you're yeah. thinking, just amazing athletes no, no greater collection of five stars in the country than what Alabama has every single year um, and then you're also looking at criteria which is yeah they've got some good wins but they also have a loss um, Michigan State doesn't um, there is some you know, there's an outrage machine out there. I knew it was coming. We knew it was going to come. And that is Cincinnati at six. I thought personally, I thought they were a little low, but I'm not like, you know, get my pitchfork and, and torch out of the, um, out of the garage for this one or anything. I think six is actually not bad uh, because we know Ohio state and Michigan will take care of themselves. And, and, and so will some ways Georgia, Alabama barring, something funky going on in big in the sec championship unless alabama wins the game and then they both get in exactly yeah and then i i do think that cincinnati has still has a pretty good shot here because i'm not uh, oregon may have the worst loss there and then as they kind of go through the season i mean the pac-12 is not that much better than the american on the field so i don't know what do you what do you think about cincinnati should should we, uh, you know, should I go over to Kinnick today or, I mean, Carver Hawkeye Arena and blow it up and, and do it in the name of the Bear, mighty Bearcats? Go find uh, go find Gary Barda and, uh, saying, you know, yeah. give him the Grand Inquisition. Uh, you know, I, I know that uh, I know that I saw a lot of responses on Tuesday night from uh, critics who, who believe that he was talking out of both sides of his mouth on, on different issues. And it's impossible not to when you're in that position. I mean, there's no, there's no way that these teams could have been ranked that would have made everyone happy uh, or even like half of the people happy. You're, you're going to anger the majority of the people, no matter how you do this. And I think that, I think the, the, the thing to keep in mind is, is that there's a lot, like he said, there's 250 football games, still to be played. And, and, you know, a, a lot of them, even, even ones that don't involve teams here in the top 10 or top 15 uh, are going to impact this thing because of 
uh, transient properties and 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 no. just the, the way the way that it affects strength of schedule. Um, I'm fine with Cincinnati at six. Uh, I kind of think that the standard, the precedent has been set through the years with this four team playoff that there's not a lot that the Bearcats can do. Um, they've got SMU, which still is you know, would would make a good win, and then they've just really got to hope that Houston. Um, can continue to win until the championship of that American conference. All that said, I mean, if those teams ahead of them take care of business, uh, and yes, Ohio State and Michigan State are going to play. They're both ahead of them. Um, there's not a lot Cincinnati can do. Uh, I, I will be interested in, in, in that 4-5, looking at that 4-5 spot right now, if that continues to be the message that the committee sends that that head to head that that to me is, is maybe the most interesting discussion long term in this in this uh, in this playoff race is what happens with Oregon and Ohio State if they continue to win maybe they both get in and you you know if Ohio State wins you knock down Michigan State Ohio State moves up they're in the top four but what about Oklahoma because we know the Sooners are getting in if they stay undefeated. Let's talk about Wake Forest. What about yeah. Wake Forest? What can happen with Wake Forest? Because that's an undefeated team right there in the ACC. I'm worried if I'm Wake Forest and you run the table, beat everybody that you're supposed to beat. What happens to Wake Forest at the end of the day? Can they sneak into that top four? For me, I, I think the answer is, is perhaps no. I think if Cincinnati and Wake Forest are there at the end, and Cincinnati probably gets that fourth spot. And man, um, then, then you've got, uh, you've got a lot of upset people, um, in the ACC. Well, at, at least, uh, at that, uh, at that university in the ACC. Right. You know, here, here's kind of the lines that I'm drawing. I'm like one, okay. Is Cincinnati better than Oregon or Ohio state, or do they just have a better resume because they're undefeated? Are they better than Michigan state? Are they better than Alabama? And I don't, I'm not necessarily buying any of that. Uh, and then when Gary did bring up, they won by a touchdown against a two and six Navy team. That's uh, that's probably going to be three and nine, maybe at best. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you've got to stack that, and they are ahead of a blue blood, undefeated leader in the Big Twelve in Oklahoma. And yeah. Oklahoma did not get the benefit of the doubt on this one. I mean, they are behind Michigan, which has one loss. They're behind four other teams that have one. Wake Forest, as you said, that's a major power conference. Now, they don't have much of a resume. And then you look at Cincinnati with the strength of schedule at 100. They had a great win at Notre Dame. But the one against Indiana, I saw Indiana earlier, and Indiana is a broken team right now. No question. Yeah. They're, they're, but does that? what does that mean? Is that better than – you know, somebody like Illinois, you know, I mean, that's the equivalent of what they are nationally. So I, I think they're in the right spot. I do. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I honestly feel like the team that has the, the the least reason to complain, but complained the most last night was Oklahoma in that, look, if Oklahoma wins out, the Sooners are going to get into the top four as an undefeated Big 12 champ. And it's hard to look at OU's resume at this point and see a game where it struggled against Kansas. You know, we saw what happened against Texas, um, a team that continues to to disappoint um the game against nebraska that came down to the fourth quarter um the quarterback change struggles of the defense you know i do commend the committee on that for putting oklahoma uh down below cincinnati because right now cincinnati's record stack it's it's resume stacks up well against oklahoma but the the unfortunate reality for cincinnati is if those two teams continue to win oklahoma is going to jump the bearcats Mm -hmm. right and uh and you know, I, I think the one thing is uh, based on, and here's the, the one thing they're not doing, they're, they're doing it as a snapshot in time today, because we know in the future things will change. Um, you know, we, we've, we saw it from the very first year when TCU and Baylor got pushed down and, Oklahoma, and Ohio State went up and then Ohio State ended up be, you know, winning the, uh, the whole thing. Uh, and there were a lot of dis- disagreements there, but Oklahoma has three pretty tough Games probably four if you count the Big 12 championship. They finally got maybe their three most difficult opponents back to back to back. And uh, after taking this weekend off, they go to Baylor, then they have Iowa State at home, then they have Bedlam, and then they'll have probably one of those two teams, either Bedlam again or, or Baylor again, um, in the championship game. So I, I'm not going to predict it, but I'm going to predict it. I think they're going to lose at least once. So, I mean, yeah. I think Oklahoma is probably more of a Sugar Bowl team than a than a, than a, uh, a playoff team. And and I think Cincinnati, uh, you know, if, if beating S, if SMU and Houston continue to win, they'll be ranked. They're not ranked now. Uh, the, the Big Ten West got the benefit of the doubt because there are mm-hmm. some nice wins there. Um, maybe not the team that I cover in their last couple of games, certainly they were pretty bad, but, but they have some decent uh, wins. They're, they're good teams. So, but I think they'll get in. And then I think it'll be uh, if Cincinnati plays Houston and Houston's got one loss and they've got none, then it's going to be a great game and they'll have a really good chance. I, I know it's irrelevant in the discussion for the, for the top four or, or for what happens uh, um, in, in the, uh, in the final rankings, but, Hey, we do talk about the Big Ten, so it's worth mm-hmm. asking. I want to ask you what you think about Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa being in the poll. Um, I think Wisconsin has has shown that it belongs, um, and you could probably make a case for Minnesota and, and a case for Iowa with the with the way that it started. Um, what about the order that the committee put those three teams, and the fact that they're showing respect for the Big Ten West by by p- putting all three of them in the in the rankings at this point, what's uh, what was your what we what were your feelings about that? Given and was it deserved? I, I think in some ways, what how it probably went down, and, and of course Gary Barta can't even be in the room, 
uh, when you're talking about Iowa is mm-hmm. uh, they went from only a couple of weeks ago, number two overall to two pretty bad losses. And, but almost like, you know, you got to fit them in there somewhere. And if you're going to fit them in, you got to fit Wisconsin in. And then, well, Minnesota has a better record than both. Where do they go? Um, I, I don't have a problem with that right now. I, I guess, and this is where I'm really bad at this, that I don't, I, I keep the, the, the pitchfork in the, in the garage. And that is, it's all going to take care of itself. Yeah. I mean, they all three play each other. Well, they all, you know, Wisconsin certainly did beat Iowa decisively the other day. And, and so I think it's, um, it, it's all going to happen. I, I, I think they're all pretty good teams. I think everybody jumps to the one loss for, for Minnesota against Bowling Green. It could not have played a worse game, but it's also played some really good games. And the way it's won some of these games has been decisive. And you saw them up close. I mean, what do you think of the Gophers? And, and uh, you know, I, I'm most anxious to see them next week, a week from Saturday when we come to Iowa City, because they haven't won there since 1999. And if they could win by one point, no matter how ugly it is, they'll take it because they'll take the big with them. I don't know that they will. I think I think Iowa will 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 continue will, for that week. I think Iowa is going to get get out of the the slump that it's in. I wasn't overly impressed with Minnesota. Here's what I was impressed with: the way that Minnesota executed its game plan and the way that it has overcome this injury to to Mo Ibrahim and you know running backs behind Ibrahim. Um, they, the, the Gophers were on point offensively for the first 60% of the game against Nebraska, but I didn't walk away feeling, and this has been the case in three Nebraska losses this year. I didn't walk away feeling that the team that had the most talent won the game. Um, and you know, Hey, PJ Fleck kind of said the same thing. You had the culture over talent comment. Mm -hmm after that game, which was an interesting backhanded slap at his own team. But, you know, hey, he's he's speaking truth there. Um, if Minnesota and Nebraska play 10 times, I think Nebraska wins six or seven of them. But it just has not been Nebraska's day when you've had that matchup of Scott Frost and P.J. Fleck in recent years. Um, and I say that the six or seven out of 10, maybe like if you could take certain things out of the equation, like the, the, the mental block or, you know, some of the, some of the um, just the hesitation that Nebraska seems to play with against the Gophers, but um, you know, Minnesota is going to do what it does. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure it will try against Iowa to do some of the same, you know, bullying tactics that, that worked against Nebraska, where you line up six, seven offensive linemen. I, I just don't think, I think Iowa, you know, has the antidote for that. Um, so I think we're going to see Minnesota fall. I'm not, I'm not a believer. I think it's a nice little stretch that the Gophers are on right now, but I think I think they're going to go down against Iowa and Wisconsin. Yeah, you might be right. If that's the case, I mean, you look at uh, the schedule for Iowa and Wisconsin. Both they they all four have winnable games. I think uh, when you look at Wisconsin, they got to play Rutgers this weekend. They they play Northwestern. They play Minnesota. They play Nebraska in the second to last game. Iowa plays at Northwestern this week. It should be a get well week for the Hawkeyes after two really devastating performances. Then they play the Gophers at home, Illinois at home, and then they go to Nebraska for Black Friday. Um, so if they went out and they both have the same record, well, Wisconsin, uh, you know, goes to Indianapolis yet again. Um, and 
it, Iowa has only itself to blame because it, it had some really crucial turnovers and and uh, critical times, and of course, left its offense in Iowa City yet again. So, uh, but getting back to your the team you cover, um, they've lost five out of six, and four out of the five, um, and even you know last week Purdue is was a pretty good team, was ranked previously, but four out of the six mm-hmm. are are in the top. Uh, 20 in the CFP poll. Um, they played pretty close. Yeah, really close actually with all of them, but they can't break through. They make critical mistakes. Um, what's been your impression of this? And are they close like we thought they were after some of those losses? Or is it just a matter of, you know, they're not close enough? What's interesting is if you look at the, and I just noticed this in looking at the rankings and you, you mentioned the four teams in the top 20. And if you, if, if you, Look at those four opponents in order uh, in, in the order they're ranked: Michigan State, Michigan, Oklahoma, and Minnesota. Nebraska arguably played better in order against the teams that were more highly ranked. The Michigan State game, especially the second half of that game, it was a dominant performance by Nebraska, especially on the defensive side. And the only reason that game went to overtime was because of a huge error in the kicking game. Michigan. Uh, hey, that, that was, again, a game that Nebraska dominated in the second half. Oklahoma, um, Nebraska did what it wanted to do. We talk about executing a game plan, like when I mentioned Minnesota. That's what Nebraska did on the road against Oklahoma. Executed a game plan, limited possessions, really got Oklahoma kind of out of its rhythm, and then had a chance at the end. It was, a, it was a, a somewhat masterful performance, I will say, by Nebraska in navigating that game because it was a game going in where, it, it could have gotten to a place where it was out of hand just based on the talent on the field. And it wasn't at all. Nebraska had a chance to, to win it with the ball um, on a, on a final possession. And then, and then Minnesota. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was ugly. Um, Nebraska did not play well in that game, played well defensively for a good chunk of the second half, but the offense was never, uh, in in uh, in sync, Adrian Martinez was was hurt in that game and 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 played through it, and it was just a, it was a an ugly ugly performance. Purdue was even more ugly. So the the better the team that Nebraska plays, the better that it plays. But the result in all of these games has been defeat, which is just crushing to the soul of the Nebraska program and damaging for Scott Frost and his bid to come back for a fifth season. I don't think this is a done deal by any stretch. And I think there is some sentiment out there nationally that you can't bring this guy back. They are possibly on track for a three and nine season. And really, even if you look at it from an optimistic perspective over the next four weeks, three and a half weeks, it's going to be a four and eight season. That's four consecutive losing seasons. I mean, he's 15 and 26. In, in, in his career at Nebraska. This gets almost everyone fired out there at Power 5 programs. And I don't feel that it's a done deal. Um, I think there is an evaluation that's ongoing with the first-year athletic director and Trev Alberts. And it is painstaking for him to go into this November period uh, knowing that he might have to do that. And if there's a way out, if there's a way for him to justify bringing this regime back for another year, I think there's a very real possibility that it happens. You you mentioned that. And, 
I mean, all those games that are close, a lot of it's been coaching, it's been discipline, it's been fundamentals, it's been the smallest details, which really matter in Big Ten play. I mean, we've seen it over and over, well, you know, forever, it seems like. Uh, the one thing that I think is most fascinating that people don't get that's outside of this circle, you know, and that would be Nebraska. And then, you know, a state like Iowa, which pays attention to Nebraska's goings-ons. And that is the emotion attached to the fan base with Scott Frost versus Mike Riley or Bo Pelini. I mean, he's one of their own. He's their guy. He's, uh, you know, he was a Husker. He won the national title. Uh, you know, granted, he was – I went back and I looked at some articles from uh, the 1996 loss at, at Arizona State, and everybody was ready to write him off then, uh, you know, whether it's 19-0 uh, loss or whatever to Jake Plummer. But mm -hmm. that said, um, he was the prodigal son returning, going to take you guys, take Nebraska back to the promised land, and it hasn't happened. And then it's kind of like, well, what now? you finally got the guy you really, really, really wanted. And you're emotionally invested as a fan base in this guy and what he's going to do. And I've never seen the kind of excitement for a coach other than maybe Harbaugh in Michigan that we've mm -hmm. seen with, with uh, Frost coming to, to Nebraska. And if this doesn't work, you're kind of like, what now? And is that well, is maybe the emotion, the, the, the deciding factor? Because if his name was uh, – with Scott Dockerman, <laughs> I'd be I, I'd be out on the street with a nice buyout right now. Yep, yeah, it's a factor. Um, I, I think two things there that you mentioned. Um, one, there is a desire with Scott Frost to make sure to you know the the absolute um, they have to be one hundred plus percent certain that this thing has no chance to work before uh, the, 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 the cord is, is pulled out of the plug. Um, you know, a lot of times coaches are fired because it looks like it's going in a certain direction. And you, you know, the, 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 the phrase is uttered um, when, when somebody brings up, well, can you afford to fire him because his buyout is X amount. And in the case of Scott Frost, it's $20 million. Um, there's often a, the next word said is, well, can you afford not to fire him? Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know that that argument applies in this situation. Nebraska is, is going to explore every option and look down every, every hole to make sure that this thing has absolutely no chance to work before it, it, uh, it makes that decision. And it may be that decision is made here in the month of November. I, that's, that's a, that is a real possibility um, going, going into this Ohio state game that he's got three games left. I'm, I'm just not, I'm saying it's not a done deal at this point. And, you know, the other thing you mentioned is, okay, where do they go? What happens? You're, you're, you're devastated if you're Nebraska and this Scott Frost thing not only didn't work, but, but fell completely flat. I mean, if he walks out at 15 and 29 or 16 and 28, wow. What a, I mean, what a mess that you, you know, you're leaving um, for somebody who, who comes in and, and replaces him. And, and I don't know that, I don't know that I, I necessarily agree with that. I think that's going to be a, that's going to be a storyline if, mm -hmm. if it ends for Frost. I don't know that I necessarily agree. Um, walk around the campus, walk around the football stadium, look at what they're doing, look at what they're building. There's a hundred and fifty plus million dollar facility coming out of the ground right now with 
big cranes and big holes in the in the ground. And that thing is going to be spectacular in two years for Scott Frost or whomever the coach is there. And there's still um, tremendous passion, um, a, a fan base that wants desperately to win, um, money to go around, um, a division that is not overwhelming when you look at what Nebraska would have to do to, to play for a Big Ten championship. So, hey, there's good coaches out there. I think there's good coaches that would look at Nebraska. I think people are selling themselves short mm-hmm. in the state of Nebraska if they believe that the only way for the Huskers to uh, claw themselves back into national relevance is to find a way for Scott Frost to do it. It could, it could happen. Um, it just is, it would, would take the right guy. Maybe that right guy, you know, we still don't know. It could be Scott Frost, but um, he's not the only one who can do it. I, I don't disagree with that at all. And, and I do push back with people who say, well, Nebraska will never uh, compete for a national title or whatever. And I'm like, no, I mean, if, if Iowa could be number two in the country, if Iowa State could start the year in the top 10, top seven, then Nebraska certainly can too. I mean, its, it's facilities are right there a little bit better even than, than Iowa's. And, uh, you know, there is the tradition, there's the fan support, you know, you're not having 40,000 people or 38,000 people at a stadium. They're still full or, or close to it, you know, depending on the tickets are at least sold. Um, and I think that there's no, if you have the right coach and you start to win and there's a momentum again, I mean, you've got a fan base that's wants to buy in in the worst way that wants to feel good. And, and, uh, and based on this, whether it's a new coach next year or it's somebody, uh, or if it's Scott Frost, if it could finally, get over the top, go over to, to Ireland and, and beat Northwestern to start the season next year and, and have a, you know, win seven games, maybe beat a rival like Iowa or Wisconsin. Yeah. You're, everybody's going to be back on board. I mean, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be exciting, but you know, you know, so I don't, I don't, dis- I don't disagree with you at all that it's not that far away. It's just, these small fundamentals. I mean, you mentioned the losses. I mean, you go back all the way to the Illinois game. You know, that's a game that, that, that they should have won, no question. But little dumb details cost them over and over and over. And it's not just a first year thing. It's not just holdovers from the Riley era. It's it's the staff. It's this what they've done or haven't done that's that's really cost them to to go into their final three games against three more ranked teams uh, to close out the season. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I think you hit on an interesting point about the fundamentals and the, the focus on details. And I just don't think that's necessarily been the strong suit for Scott Frost at any point in, in his coaching stops, you know, not, not to his detriment, but 
when he was at Oregon as offensive coordinator, that's not what he was tasked to do. They were this explosive um, big play machine that won with tremendous talent and they were dynamic. And, and, you know, he did a, he did an awesome job in, in, in scheming that thing and, and, you know, making, making that offense, helping make that offense, um, you know, one, the, one of the most creative and, and fun to watch um, s- systems in the country. It wasn't about uh, special teams uh, details and, you know, preventing uh, always winning the turnover battle and getting off the field on third down. I mean, the stuff that matters in the Big Ten, in particular in the Big Ten West, was often the farthest thing from his mind when he mm-hmm. coached at Oregon. And it was similar at UCF. They won games with talent. They won shootouts. The little things that matter so much in this division, they weren't at the top of anyone's mind at UCF. It's why that thing was able to turn around so fast to go from a winless season to 13-0 and in two years was because they won with talent. And, you know, you're, you're in a slog in, in the Big Ten West. And, and, and I think some people, uh, myself included, um, underestimated the significance of how much different um, the formula for winning would be at Nebraska for Scott Frost in comparison to what he's been asked to do really at every step in, in his coaching career, um, at least the last two at, at prominent schools at Oregon and, and, and UCF. So he's had to adjust. He's had to become more detail-oriented more focused on fundamentals, more aware of special teams, more aware of the little things that make such a huge difference in the Big Ten and, and in this division. And, and he, um, you know, I think he understands it now, but um, he's yet to be able to, to, to execute it with any kind of consistency. I think the, what we've seen and the identity of the Big Ten West is over. And four teams executed at a, at a pretty good level most years, and that's Wisconsin, Northwestern, Minnesota, and Iowa is it's a line of scrimmage league or a division, and it's a developmental division. You're not going to be able to go get four and five stars like Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State, and you're going to have to develop them. You're going to have to develop a style of play that allows you to stay in games and then be physical when you get there. And then when, when are the details, which are special teams, which are fundamentals, being able to make the tackle on third and five slant or third and seven slant pass at four and a half yards. So they have to punt rather than slip. Just all those types of little details have really mattered in who's won and who's lost in this division over the years. And, and, and that's the one thing I've always kind of thought with Nebraska is um, in a line of scrimmage division, you don't have to aspire to be Iowa certainly or or Wisconsin, but you got to be able to, to at least make that a net, not even a, a negative, just a net zero. When you yeah. go out there, then then whatever you want to do, if you want to run RPOs in the option or you want to run pro style or that doesn't matter. It's really about can my offensive line displace you? Can your defensive line hold you in place? Can you make the tackle? Uh, can you your punter, you know, kick the ball over it bounces out of the six yard line and your and your gunners knock it out of bounds, and then you don't don't fumble the ball on your one yard. You know, stuff like that. I, I think that's what Nebraska's missed under Frost, at least my purview. And uh, if they get that, you know, we've seen it. You've seen it. That the talent's there. You know, I'm not saying that it's great talent, but it's ta- there's enough talent to where you can turn these games from a three-point loss into a three-point win. Yeah. I mean, 
They're close games. They're one score games. You know, one way to put it in perspective is that Nebraska has taken two horribly boneheaded safeties by, by, by captains on this team. Cam Taylor Britt in the opener against Illinois, fielding a punt at the one yard line, taking a safety. Adrian Martinez um, backed up at his 11 yard line. So he, he wasn't at the one taking a safety against Minnesota on a crucial drive in the fourth quarter, you know, game turning plays. And it isn't the freshmen or the sophomores doing this in those instances where you're giving the other team points, you know, turning the ball over, giving it back to them. It's the leaders, the captains on this team doing it. So I don't know. I mean, when it's baked into your program that, that deep that it's happening um, repeatedly and the players are, who are doing it are um, you know, the guys who, who lead your team, um, that it's a, it's, it's systemic with this program and the, the, the answers are not easy on how to fix it. I, I, want to, I want to ask you, because I think this, this kind of opens the door to talk a little bit about what you've seen at Iowa, because Iowa is that program that does those little things well, yet these past couple of weeks have been, um, you know, just really troubling, I think, for for Iowa people to watch what's gone on against Purdue and Wisconsin. Is it as simple, at Scott, as the offense is just that bad that they can't make up for the fact that they're still a fundamentally strong team in all of these other areas that normally win games in the Big Ten West? It is, unfortunately, for Iowa because I think its defense is good enough. Um, even if it hasn't turned over the football or forced turnovers, it just hasn't been able to, to – it can't survive the way that this offense is playing. I mean, it's in the hundreds in every single category, rushing. Um, you know, they're, they're 104th in, the, in passing and rushing. They're 123rd. I mean, they're, they're averaging, you know, 2.9 yards per carry. You can't have that in this style of offense and be successful because, uh, you know, the, to me, probably of all the statistics, they're bad in every single one of them in the hundreds. But the worst one by far to me is, is first down yardage. I mean, they're averaging less than 2.6 yards per carry on first down rushing. And there's only one other team in Division One that's worse, and that's Mississippi State. And they pass out of first down almost every exclusively. Um, so if you're not getting anything on first down, then you're automatically backed up. And they don't have any real elements that you need to succeed in this style of offense, which is, um, you know, Brian Ferentz says you, you, the optimum is 4.5 yards per carry. That makes sense, sure. But they're not getting anywhere near that. Then, um, then you know, completion percentage, they're still below 60. They need to be in the probably 63, 64% in completion in, uh, in, in this pro style offense. And then, you know, third is they don't have a running element at quarterback. And so if they do get in those situations where it's third and seven and nobody's open, can he break and make a play the way CJ Beathard could? No, they don't have that. So they're really stagnant to bad in all those areas. And the, the really the worst part is, it's an offensive line that's been a banged up and be very, very inexperienced. And it's not really shown a lot of growth um, other than Tyler Ninderbaum, who's it, it's, it's this all reflects poorly upon him and it should, he's the best center. Yeah. And I would say with Brandon Sheriff, probably the best offensive lineman I've seen at Iowa in, in 15 to 20 years. So it's, it's, just, yeah. it's unfortunate. It's so, it's so, um, it's so Iowa when, the, when the biggest, biggest star on the offensive side is, is the center. 
but that's, you know, that's what it is. I mean, there's stars on the defense. I mean, Campbell obviously is a, is a great player. Hey, the punter, um, he's one of the biggest stars too, but, uh, but yeah, Linderbaum, he's the, he's, he's clearly the real deal. So where, so where, you know, what do you see um, against Northwestern? What do you see down the stretch for, for, uh, for this team? Is it, is it, um, you know, headed to a place where they can dig out of this mess and figure out t- how to salvage something with this offense in the way that Wisconsin has clearly done this year, or, or um, are there more, more dark times ahead this season? I think this week is a get well week, just looking at statistics. I mean, you, you saw Northwestern and I've seen them and they you know they got bombed the other day by, by Minnesota. I think it's, you know, they average five and a half, they allow five and a half yards per carry. They allow 66% completion percentage. Both are among the worst in the country. So for Iowa, I think this is a chance to build some confidence, you know, get some drives going. They've got, you know, one or two drives per game offensively, and that's about it. They might be able to get three or four pretty good ones. And I wouldn't be surprised if the defense kind of connects the dots and gets a couple of takeaways as well. And then, you know, wins decisively. That's kind of what I think is going to happen. And I'm not going to predict the score yet, but, but then you look at the final three games, Illinois at home, I think is a win. I don't think they have a, shouldn't have too many issues there because it's kind of a similar style and Iowa can stop the run. Don't overlook, um, don't overlook Bielema. Don't overlook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There is some emotion attached to that game. No question. I mean, you know, he played there of course, and, and the recruiting mm-hmm. trail has been pretty testy among those two programs this summer and beyond, but um, really to me, what will shape the, the season the rest of the way is what happens with Minnesota, because if they lose that game, they're done in the West. And then it is, it goes from being, you know, kind of disappointing to an absolute disappointment. This was their year. They were six and oh, they ranked second in the country. They, uh, they'd won 12 straight games at 1.6 last year, six to open this year, beat Iowa state decisively beat Penn state at home at a crowd rushing moment. I mean, the, the insanity that engulfed this community now has just went to a straight thud and it's really, mm-hmm. uh, it's really surprising in some ways, but in, in some ways it isn't because, um, it's not that we haven't seen this coming. I was always been marginal on offense. I always been, you know, they've had their moments where they, they just need a running back or they just need a quarterback or they just need a receiver. And, and, and so that's not surprising, but at some point, I think now, even though it's only been two losses, they're six and two, and they still got a chance to win the West that I think a lot of fans have said they've had enough. They've seen the offense. This is too much of the same thing for 20 years. It's time for a change on that side of the ball. And then that brings in the question of Kirk Ferentz. His, his son is the offensive coordinator. So lobbing arrows at Brian means you're lobbing arrows at Kirk. And that makes mm-hmm. it a, a challenge for a lot of reasons. To cover, it makes it a challenge. It makes it a challenge for the fan base because they genuinely like Kirk. And, and so it comes down to what what's going to happen, even if they went out, even if they go to Indianapolis and then sacrificial lamb for Ohio state or whoever, and uh, you know, what's going to be the future. Can they come back to this same style of play? And I don't think so. I think they're going to have to, you know, whether that's Kirk saying, I'm just turning it over to somebody else and you do it. All I'm going to ask is when we run the ball, we want to run in this, uh, you know, this zone uh, concept. That's how we want to block. But other than that, you take care of it. Uh, that could be with Brian, that could be with somebody else, but will he want to, he's been through a lot in, in this program. Will he decide, you know what, th- this is it. And how, I kind of think that they're all in that same area. How is he handled? How does he handle the criticism of the offense when clearly it's pointed, as you said, directly at his son? Does he, does he get, 
Does he bristle at that more so because it involves Brian than he would, um, uh, you know, comments like that about the defense or questions like that about the defense? Um, not really. I mean, I think in some ways, you know, yesterday seemed to get him a little bit more and it wasn't because of the Brian factor. It was just a matter of that's the side of the ball that he pays attention to. He's involved in all the meetings on offense. He's an offensive line coach. He really focuses on that. So it is kind of more of a personal criticism anyway, but then the fact is his son is the offensive coordinator and he's got to answer to that. And, um, so the questions are much more worded carefully, I would say, than they would be when Greg Davis was there or, or anything yeah. like that, because, um, you know, you do have that family element, which is, you know, a lot of what people are drawn to is, uh, you know, with nepotism. Um, you know, now I don't believe that. I think Brian Ferentz is qualified. Other people don't. That's their prerogative. But, um, but I'd also think that, it, you know, it does bring up some tough things because, Kirk's been very stubborn over the years in a lot of areas, and this is among them. And he can just say, I'm coming back, and he's coming back too, and we're going to do the exact same thing. But I don't know that people would be able to accept that based on what we've seen lately, which is a complete and utter failure in every single facet of offense. Yeah. Well, you know, it sets up – we'll have to talk again in three weeks. It uh, it sets up for, for <laughs> what could be uh, uh, an important – uh, intriguing Black Friday game this year. And, and I was just doing the math in my head and, and thinking that, you know, in all likelihood, unless Nebraska goes out and, and beats Ohio State and or Wisconsin, and I don't, I don't see either of those as likely at this moment, um, you're going to be looking at the fourth time since 2013 that a Nebraska coach has walked into this Iowa game um, with his, his job security as a, as a major question, you know, twice for Bo Pelini and then Mike Riley. I mean, it was a foregone conclusion in 2017 with Mike Riley, but still, you know, we'll put it in that category. And then this one, and you throw in the intrigue with, um, with Ference and, and his offensive coordinator. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, it, I don't know that there's, you know, Iowa could be playing for a division title, as you mentioned, but um, in, in terms of, what we've seen in the past, and I think what people hope for from this series, it's probably not going to be one of those games where there's a ton on the line as far as the seasons of the two teams involved, maybe for Iowa. Um, but there's going to be a lot at stake and a lot for people to watch as they gauge these programs moving into 2022. So, um, you know, we're going to have something to talk about uh, the week of Thanksgiving. No question. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting because, as you said, who knows what that means for the Nebraska side. And then on the Iowa side, um, you know, the next couple of weeks will determine if that has any value or if it's just a, another uh, second place in a beauty contest game, which we've had, we've grown accustomed to over the years or, or if uh, you know, there, there's a future at stake. So yeah, most definitely. It's going to be fascinating on, on our side of the world, on our side of the river <laughs> as to what, mm -hmm. uh, what ends up happening. So, well, thanks again for, for, doing this Mitch we really appreciate it and and we want to thank you our legends and listeners for subscribing please rate and review us and don't be afraid to give us five stars uh, just like Ari Wasserman's favorite uh, uh, you know recruits so this is Scott Dockerman and we will talk to you again next week